Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 45, Gringo, from 2018. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today to celebrate, it's sort of a celebration, Mike, because this is, we Mm -hmm. always make note of it. This was the first movie that released while we were doing this podcast. One yep. that we could have seen in theaters, but chose I chose not to because I was like, well, <laughs> I'm going to see it in a couple months anyway. Uh, yeah. Here we are for Gringo. I was going to see it in theaters, but it lasted about seven days in my theater. So I have a little I bit of a, not like trivia about that, but something I read about that on, on Wiki, which we can sort of get to in a second. Not really about the length, but weirdness in the, the theater. But anyway, to talk about this movie, first time guest on this show... But we've talked to to him on our Cinemakers episode, Fede Alvarez. He's also got his own show here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, which could conceivably, maybe, talk about this movie one day. It is Nick Jenkins. Hello, Nick. Hello there. How is everybody doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Greetings. I'm good, and I'm I'm already a little bit like, uh-oh, I might have had contrarian opinions about this movie. Did you like this movie? <laughs> well, you know, how deep do you want to go right now? <laughs> Let's get into it. I mean... <laughs> Let's get into it, because I think... My high-level opinion of this movie is that it is worse than a lot of other movies that are similar-ish to it. I think it's messy. I think the tone is all over the place. I don't think it's bad. Like, I don't think it should be done on real bad. I think Charlize is goodness. I think Amanda Seyfried is a delight always. But I just did not enjoy this movie. Okay. I'm sort of on that side of the fence, too. Like, I think there's some good qualities to this film like the actors um i actually quite like the premise like the skeleton that all this is sort of hanging on but i just don't think that they executed this with a lot of precision and i kind of feel like yeah it's all over the place at times and kind of hard to track from time to time not also not like completely horrible totally watchable just like i wasn't really enjoying it I don't think that I'm that contrarian then. I'm just a little (laughs) more onto the... This is the kind of movie that I miss. I don't feel like we get this level of movie much anymore. And I guess that's why I'm happy about it. This is like Stakeout or uh, Sneakers. You know, something with a a lot of really talented actors. And it's a very nice little heist story, basically. So, you know, you could say something like Ocean's 8... Or, excuse me, Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13. Something like that. But... Uh, to me, this this felt like, for better and for worse, this felt like a movie from 1988, complete with a bunch of things that just straight up offended me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, that was the, the hardest. There were uh, there were some things in there that's like this this shouldn't be in this movie, and and frankly, I'm offended that somebody put it in here. But at the same time, I was really really happy with all of the actors. Like I I, I love Joel Edgerton. I love David Oyelowo. I love uh, Charlize Theron, obviously, um, and I love Charlotte Copley, who does a, a oh, really my favorite part of this. Is yeah, <laughs> he's great. South African team up too. Him and Charlize both oh, from South Africa. Yeah, so yeah, shout out from Cape Town. That's South Africa, right? Uh, how about Johannesburg? Johannesburg. There we go. <laughs> shout out to Chappie and this one. <laughs> so you know, I, I I definitely see the problems with it, but I was right. I, in some respects I was refreshed, and it makes me happy. Mm-hmm to see uh, this kind of film like, oh, okay, we do have a place for this now. We've got Netflix, we've got Amazon, we've got Hulu, where something like this can be done and it's not going to be too terribly expensive. So that's what makes me happy about it. I was definitely thinking like straight to Netflix, direct to Amazon while this was going on. Um, And like not on the 
bad end of that either. Like, you know, I was thinking like, oh, this this would probably work really well on that type of platform. So I was kind of surprised that it got a theatrical release uh, after seeing it. Yeah, like there's actually times in this movie I'm watching it and I'm really grooving to it and rolling with it. It's mostly like the Harry storyline, you know, the um, yeah, that whole I love like that whole stuff in film, especially just like the underdog screwing over his boss and getting away with it and really, you know, going for it and trying to change his life and turn around. Like I liked all that about the movie. That's that storyline was my favorite stuff but I did yeah there were just times where I I don't know I don't find myself to be a generally offense offended person while watching movies because I understand you know it's like it's a movie whatever but like this was one of the few times where I was just like these American stereotype character like versions that Charlize and um what's the other uh, Edgerton yeah. yeah that um Uncle Uncle Owen, um, <laughs> that like that they're playing. I was like, I just can't get behind them as like uh, uh, on like a comedic level or anything like that. I think they just pushed that stuff too far for me. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of was like forty sixty on this thing. I was just frustrated by them because they're so one note, which I think is the point. But there's nothing redeeming about them. Like Charlize has a couple moments, like I was saying, that are incredible. I think even if we weren't watching this for her, she's got a couple angry tirades that are just really, really good, I think. There's nothing about the Joel Edgerton character that I find enjoyable. Like, he is just this... This is something that could be convinced of otherwise, but he feels just like a stereotypical evil villain who is going to screw this guy over and just is there to basically make Harry look even more likable than he already is. I agree with that. I like Joel Edgerton. And it doesn't Me really mean that I liked this character. I th- I agree that uh, Charlize has a couple of moments that I thought, I, her in the car when she realizes that he is with another woman up in her apartment. Mm-hmm. Like that moment is wonderful and wonderful Who's for daddy's an actor. blue ribbon girl. Yeah. And, yeah. and then when she bursts in is also a great follow-up scene. Yeah. or But then she has this great line where she's like, are you fucking crying where she's looking at herself <laughs> in the mirror and she can't believe yeah. like and so you know she gets the opportunity to do that but like i also love tandy newton why is she in this movie i don't know <laughs> so that character is maybe like in a movie filled with like baffling characters and baffling plot decisions do you have an actress who is arguably the star of westworld and like goddamn great on westworld yeah. to be in here for two scenes maybe one via skype and to basically be the butt of a joke, like, oh, she used to be fat and she's not fat anymore. The butt of a really awful joke. The butt of a joke that that's one of the things where I'm like, that came from 1985 and it doesn't belong in this movie. And it doesn't belong in 2018. They're putting some sort of moral punishment on her being fat again at the end of the movie. And at that moment, like, I was like, OK with the movie, warts and all. And then that happened and I checked out. Like, I was like, what? Fuck you. No. I just don't understand. Like, why is it there? Right, yeah. Because even as far, I mean, like, as far as everything's concerned, like, yes, she cheats on Harry with his boss, you know, Edgerton, the the douchebag and everything, but, like, she does not, you know, I don't feel like she deserved, like, comeuppance. like Because, yeah, as far as characters go, like, she is by far not the worst. (laughs) And she's one of the nicer people. Like, at least she cries when she breaks up with her husband. And it's just tough because, like, and this kind of came up a little bit with the Keanu Club episode of Destination Wedding, is, like, I feel like you can have people be unlikable characters without having them be such 
hardcore assholes all yeah. the time. Like they don't need to be mean to be unlikable. And I think that's just something that this movie doesn't quite get. It just keeps pushing that for me too far. It's like I get it. You've set them up and they're they're terrible, but like let's just, you know, relax for a few minutes. You don't have to keep <laughs> reestablishing who they are. I, I got them. I feel what's weird is that like if you want to have a cartoonish, you know, to use Nick's analogy, which I think works really well, like a cartoonish 80s villain in Joel Edgerton, like, that's fine, but don't make him the star of your movie from the beginning. Like, it feels like there's a lot of this movie where he's the star, and then you're like, oh no, it's actually Harry's movie. You know what I mean? Like, it feels weird. Like, if you want to have him just be, like, this big, evil corporate boss fine. Like, if you don't want to give him dimension, that's okay. I mean, it's not good, but that's okay. But don't, like, give him as much screen time as he has if he's going to be, like, what's his goal? Just to get more money? Well, and that is one of the fuzziest things, I think, about this, is what his actual goal is. Like, I saw this just a couple days ago, and I can't exactly remember. Like, I know that there's a merger coming with his company, and I know that he wants to make sure and sell his, merge his company first before another company merges and blah, blah, blah. But then when Harry gets kidnapped or fake kidnapped and then really kidnapped later which by the way all of that i love i'm fine with that i'm still not quite sure like did he just want to make money off of harry is that all he wanted to do was cash in an insurance policy was that it (laughs) i i'm not i i I started to have trouble tracking what the villain of the piece wanted yeah i mean i think there's just like a real general lack of focus altogether because i also was having trouble just following the plan like what was the plan i thought we were selling weed pills kind of like that was the idea like we, we have this company we're trying to sell these weed pills and we're getting these you know brokers in to to finance it but the drug lord that the company sold the, the pills to or the weed to and originally to get money doesn't want to give up his end and so that's where like the whole kidnapping thing sort of falls into place and everything. i mean like i really i was like what is going on for half this movie <laughs> um and then it really Wait, I have, wasn't I have a quick question just right there did they say weed pills before 35 minutes into the movie i don't think no they did. and I, I don't think yeah i'm not Which sure if they, if is they did. weird because the yes. trailer was like weed pills like all the marketing was weed pills look at all these weed pills and yeah. they're like vaguely at a pharmaceutical thing right. but i was like did, I'm, I'm like i must have missed something no. because you don't know i wrote down literally 35 minutes into the movie they're like that's when they have the meeting where Charlize is using her cleavage to, to seal the deal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's so. nothing up to that point that says what they're doing. It's just like general right. money. Well, I would push even further than that. I didn't start to understand that the company was even a pharmaceutical company until they got to Mexico, which is ah. end of the first act. I was legitimately sitting there thinking, okay, are they a hedge fund? What are they? What are they? What are they? What are they doing? <laughs> what went missing like what are all the files that went missing what's all the money that went missing i don't understand what's happening and it just seemed like there was one line of dialogue missing from the beginning is that intentional or is that just bad writing it has to be bad writing yeah it seems like bad filmmaking in the end like it just came out the end all wrong <laughs> like maybe they <laughs> felt they had a grasp of it and then it's like you watch it you, you screen it and it's like oh there's kind of holes going on here there's a lot of plot holes but i really didn't have a grasp of what was going on until everything sort of wrapped back around you know how like it opens with a scene that we find out is sort of like kind of in the middle of the movie when yeah when he fakes his own kidnapping and it really wasn't at that point until after they were like oh so like 
Is it going to cost more to go get him back or to just let them kill him? Like, what's the score? And then I was like, okay, so that's all I need to know. First, they want to retrieve him, and then they want to let him get killed. You know, like, I was fine in my mind with that. Then they intentionally say they have Charlotte Copley there, and Joel Edgerton specifically says, kill him. Yeah. Right, right. No, so it yeah, escalates. So, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. So like I was on um, I was sort of able to adjust and focus and like, you know, lean into this once I realized, okay, they're sending Charlito Copley to extract this guy. And then so I thought it was interesting when they bonded in the hotel room and he's on the phone, he's like, Okay, right, now I want you to kill him. I was like, Okay, this is this is fun. Like um this is working for me. Now I can follow this movie. That would have been actually an interesting whole movie to see uh Harry and the assassin. I can't I can only remember Charlotte Charlotte Charlto Copley. I can't remember his character's name. But it would have been an interesting thing to see them be the whole movie, as opposed to just sort of being kind of half of a second act. Yeah, it could have been like a midnight run situation with the two of them, and, and they were really good characters that bounced you, off each other really well. You least. just mentioned one of my all-time favorite movies, and yes, yeah, I agree completely. I wonder if, going just going back at what we are talking about in a second... If this movie was like, if they made it and they realized that like what they had put together didn't make sense and they used the trailers and the marketing almost as like a prologue. Like, is that thing, like, that's not something that good movies do. No, I've never seen this trailer, to be honest, because Joey, you know, this came really? out around the time when I was trying to practice okay. what you preach with the whole, you know, no trailers yes. thing. And we were doing Watch the Throne, so I was like, you know, try and go cold. Um, so I have no idea what's going on with the trailers, but just from the poster and like marketing and thing, it's like this weed company is trying to synthesize a pill. And I'm like, okay, so that's all right. That's what the movie's about. It's kind of timely. All right, let's see. And then it's nothing. That is, that is nothing to do with this movie. Nothing. There's one point where they're trying to like talk about something with the um, Amanda Seyfried and her boyfriend are trying to like extract a pill for Paris Jackson, right? To like, Which, I was like, what is going on with that? Oh my God. So, okay. So hold on. A few things about that. What is going the on? The fact that they were not really involved in the main thread is baffling to me, that they were sort of separately doing their own thing. And then I don't know, you know, I guess 80s and 90s tabloid stuff, so I didn't know that was Paris Jackson. I was like, who's, I'm like, I know the name Paris Jackson. I was like, oh, that's her? And this is her film debut? I don't, like, there's just, there's a lot of weird going on in that sort of subplot. I just, I don't even know where to begin with all that. Who's Paris Jackson? Michael Jackson's daughter. Oh, who plays okay. the the punk chick who goes into the uh, guitar shop to bribe Amanda Seyfried's junkie boyfriend to be a drug mule. That's funny because like when she was introduced, I had this moment of like, am I supposed to know who that is? I guess so. It, it but, seems you know. like <laughs> it seems like she's supposed to be someone, but she never comes back. Yeah, that whole it's so funny about that. That whole thread when when the Harry character sort of abandons his post and wanders into the heart of Mexico, I guess, and like <laughs> goes to that motel, and then you know he's booked across the hall from Amanda Seyfried. I was like, oh yeah, they're in this movie too. Like, there's that all <laughs> that other shit going on. Yeah. Oh my god, like why isn't any of that woven in any tighter? And, and sort of the same, you know, with with, uh, with the Charlito Copley character, but not as much. It was just like okay, he had that one really solid setup phone call where he's you know in Haiti and then he just sort of like pops up again after a while it's like oh yeah I forgot he's in this movie but I'm really glad he popped back up because he's like very he's got a great energy in this and it, he's really funny so good for him yeah really funny and uh just I don't know maybe again it's about the actors right like he's so good David Oyelowo 
is so good. Charlize Theron is so good that like I can forgive a lot of the problems with the written character because the actors are so just like invested and doing a good job. That's definitely how I feel about Copley. He's he's just so good in that role, especially when he starts to become conflicted about what he's doing and they're having that argument about the Bible in the middle of the street. You know, I'm, I'm just watching wonderful actors do their jobs. And so, you know, I'm fine with it. I'm fine that the plot doesn't make sense because I'm being entertained. That's interesting, too, that there's actual there's moments when this film presents these characters with two or three sides like there is depth to them. So it's weird that not every character got that kind of attention. And if they weren't going to pay that attention to everyone, just stick with the characters you did give the attention to. Like, we don't need two Americans. Just be Charlize Theron running the show. Like, we don't need all these other side characters south of the border either. Like, get rid of Amanda Seyfried and her boyfriend. Like, get that out of here. Like, that's just waste, waste it, waste it, waste all that. So, like, yeah, that's what's kind of frustrating is, like, I see the good movie within this, and I want to watch that movie a little more. What caught me off guard was that I I thought this was going to be a comedy. I thought this was going to be a lot funnier than it was, just based on marketing, based on... So I don't watch trailers. I'm going to read the trailer for a second. I didn't... See, I don't know if I saw the full trailer, but I knew that there was, like, a hostage situation and Charlize used her boobs in a meeting. Like, that's basically what this trailer sold this movie as. I knew it was about weed because of the marketing, the, the poster, which, Mike, I think I gave you the free poster that I got from Regal Cinemas yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yep. And the yep. T-shirt... I even have, like, I have a gringo T-shirt, which is, like, the O <laughs> is the medical marijuana cross, green plus sign, whatever. I thought it was going to be a comedy based on that, like a weed comedy or whatever. Yeah, that it's not a stoner comedy. No, my mind. I asked. I was on my way to dinner tonight, and I asked Siri, "I'm like, Siri, how how long is Gringo?" And she said, "110 <laughs> minutes." And I said out loud to no one in my car, "Oh fuck!" And that was like the beginning of the. Like I was just like, "This is not the movie I thought it was going to be." I felt like I was sold the bill of goods, even though I don't watch trailers, and it wasn't that movie. You know what I mean? Well, this is interesting because I watched no trailers, no posters or anything. All I ever saw was I saw one pre-roll of it when I was watching something on Amazon Prime. And I was only half paying attention because I only half pay attention to anything that pre-rolls on Amazon Prime. But I remember thinking, oh, it's uh, that looks like something I might be interested in because it, it, it looks like something. For, it looks like Midnight Run. It looks like uh, Sneakers. It looks like something that is a dark-ish comedy. And so when I watched it, I felt like I got what I expected. Like okay. that is... I didn't know that medical marijuana was any part of it at all, which, again, also lends to my total confusion at the beginning <laughs> that I had. I, I did not know what this company was doing. I wonder if that's part of it, too, because like I once I figured that out, I was kind of like, OK, I'm on board for this. And then the only thing that really took me out of it were the stupid shit about Tandy Newton being fat than thin than fat. And then uh, some of the stuff with. Charlize that was like, can we please just stop having everyone ogle her? Can we please stop this? Okay, so this this actually, Ruck, this actually raises please. a question. <laughs> what does she want in this movie? Is it just sex? But is it just specifically sex with Joel Edgerton? Because clearly she can have sex. This movie is like, I mean, we know that I mean, Charlize is a beautiful woman in real life, that we've talked about this a lot in terms of how she's you know portrayed in movies. But in this movie specifically, she's portrayed as a woman who uses her body to get things done right and she has alan ruck under her thumb like you know she has complete control over seemingly all men right and so if she just wants sex she can get sex but she seems like she wants specifically sex with her boss but 
why. Like, it doesn't look like she's yeah. interested in having a relationship because she knows he's having sex with Thandie uh, Newton and they're going to be in a relationship or something, who knows, and that he's been hiding it from her. That doesn't bother her. Like, what does she want? <laughs> Initially, I just figured that she just wants to get this company up and running and sell this pill and, you know, make money and stuff. And then at the end of the movie, when she's sort of moving into the main office, I was like, huh? Like, was that her goal? Was to, like, be the boss this whole time? I thought she just, you know, was the boss already. I didn't but, like, realize. but if that was her, if that was it, like, they could have done some, like, she could have manipulated things behind the scenes, but she doesn't do that. She just falls into the job. Right, I mean, which basically, was why yeah. I was surprised that she ended up in the chair at the end, like, that she was behind the, that that was sort of her reward. Like, I thought we just would have finished with her in the interrogation room where she sort of pulls a Catwoman thing where she's like at first she's like kind of half crying and then the guy leaves the room and she totally shows like her true colors like oh god thank god that's over with I thought that would have been a perfect ending for her again she's a wonderful actress so she does that and I'm like oh that's cool you know <laughs> like, but I think one thing to figure her character out a little bit is to look at what she's afraid of what really gets under her skin and in this movie it's any time control is being removed from her and when that starts to happen, when she starts to lose control of not just things that she wants, but just like in any way, once control, once things start feeling like they're going out of control, she snaps. Yeah. So that's the scene that they cut off at the beginning, but then come back to with her and Joel Edgerton arguing about what's going to be done about Harry. Like, I actually like that scene a lot because she is the one who is dictating what is going to happen. She's also weirdly the moral compass. Because Joel Edgerton's like, we could just leave him. And she's like, are you out of your mind? We are not just going to leave him there. There's stuff like that. But it does seem like anytime she starts to sense that control is slipping. So she may not want. And I'm saying this as somebody that, you know, is thinking behind the scenes and not what's actually present in the film a a whole lot. But like what the actor could have been using is like anytime control starts to slip is when this character gets very uncomfortable and has to sort of psych themselves up. So like when she starts crying in in the car, that's when she's like, hold on, get control of the situation. And then she goes upstairs and she takes fucking control of the situation. I think that could be more what they were going for is that she just wants control. She wants things to run the way she wants them to run. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's sort of what I took away from it. I feel like we just could have used another scene or two of background. Like, I feel like that scene in the car where she's talking about how she's daddy's blue ribbon girl and about how uh, she smoked every girl in every pageant she ever entered. Like, I feel like that gives us a good glimpse into her backstory. And I feel like in this movie, there are some, there are a couple things I wrote down really early that I'm like, this movie absolutely nails the characterization. Like, early, early on, we see Harry rapping to Will Smith in this car, and that's all yes. I need yes. to know exactly who this guy is. Like, he thinks he's cool, but he's a dork. Like, that's it. Like, that's, I know exactly who he is. On their way to work. Yeah, yes. I know. <laughs> he meets up with his, I guess, financial advisor or brother or somebody he's talking about how richard won't screw him over about how joel edgerton won't screw him over and the guy he's with says richard has a vanity license plate and does push-ups in his office that's all i need for him like that's i know exactly who he is and i feel like for a movie to be able to nail the characterizations of these two actors or these two characters in like one little rapping moment and like one sentence and then charlie's not like those are so good that I don't know why the rest of the movie mm-hmm. is spent doing nothing 
to help us get to know these people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There's that one really interesting moment, I thought, when they were all at dinner together, and Charlize says to Joel Edgerton, like, uh, you want to go upstairs? And he's like, nah, you know, I'm going to, like, hit the gym, take a sauna, whatever. And she's, like, completely caught off guard like blindsided by that answer and you could see like the hurt in her face that she wasn't expecting to feel i was like wow this is a nice interesting moment and then she kind of turns to harry and she's like do you wanna nah forget it and then she's like i'm just gonna turn in early like i thought that was great because she just like regained control of herself of her emotions was like no i'm not gonna just fuck harry like just to get off like no back to who uh, back to yourself here so that was really cool too i thought that was good but then you know we have to spend time with the drug lord and talking about Beatles, the Beatles records and stuff. And it's like, I'm just screaming at the screen. It's Abbey Road, Abbey Road. Like, Well, no, it's Let It Be. This movie's official. You know, yeah, I know, I know. But official I'm just saying, stance. you know, like we get all that extra crap that is like draining all of what we want from the other side of the movie. So it's That kind of thing f- feels a little lazy to me. The, the stuff with, you know, what's the best Beatles album? Har, har, har. I was much more interested in the, the two kids who ran the hotel, like their characterizations and what they wanted and, and how, you know, when, uh, when Harry starts to do his phone call, and he hasn't really explained to them because, you know, they barely speak English and he doesn't speak any Spanish. He has barely explained to them what's going to happen. And he starts going into this fake hostage phone call. And their dialogue between each other was wonderful. Like, it was just like, what, what is, what, 40, five million, what is happening? And so that was really interesting. And it was also, it didn't feel too cliched to me in a way that the the drug lord thing felt very cliched. Like, I have seen this, you do this with villains all the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. To try to catch people off guard. And it it's like you have to have the drug lord in there to arrive at the third act in order to have this massive shootout, right? Like, I, I don't, yeah. I can't, you know, armchair screenwrite this away. <laughs> we spent way too much time on that. And it would have been better time spent, you know, working on other characters and working on other relationships, I think, or trying to figure out a way to interweave Amanda Seyfried and, uh, and her boyfriend into the plot. Because again, both actors I really enjoy. Like, they're both really good actors. And anytime they were on screen, I was like, okay, this is great. Nothing really happens. Yeah, what's interesting about those guys that run the hotel, too, is like they actually, you know, interact with the main character here yeah. and provide another, like, some more insight into him as a person, like, yeah. just the way them of being around him and stuff. So, like, that, yeah, that's really working, too. I was really pissed when they got killed off. I was like, that's just wasting things. <laughs> and the movie does that, it just wastes what's good, you know, and it's too bad. Like, when Charlito Copley gets shot in the head at the end, I was like, why? Like, there's just really, the movie isn't saying that needs to happen. That's that to me feels like the writer saying I'm just gonna be like Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs at this point and just like be cool. That's what I was thinking because like I feel like in a post-Tarantino world or a world in which Tarantino exists the way that you make villains cool is you just give them like a pop culture bent. You know what I mean? Yeah I think of the carpenter from Gone in 60 Seconds right Joey? Like the most like the worst thing like like he builds a birdhouse in his place while he kidnaps Cage's brother and like he's only called the carpenter because the car is in the name carpenter (laughs) like that's like I yeah it's absurd it gets to the absurd and I feel like it's just lazy it's like a hey this guy's not pure villainy it's he's a real person like he loves the Beatles don't you love the Beatles and also all I could think of when he was such a Beatle maniac though Mike is just Stanley Goodspeed in (laughs) The Rock of course you know Mm -hmm. the ultimate Beatle maniac in film well I I would I would take that laziness a step further with uh, what my 
Mike was just talking about, which was the fact that we just kill people, in, specifically Charlotte Copley, where you kill him instead of having to do the work of figuring out what happens. Like, is he going to kill Harry? Or has he changed his mind? What is he going to do? And we're robbed of that. We're robbed of seeing what would happen. And because he's shot in the head, he doesn't even get to say anything at the end. And it's not its not like a, a removing or a sub, uh, subverting expectation thing. It's a thing of like, oh, you just were lazy and didn't know how else to do your story is what it feels like. I mean, I think it's nice that Harry gets to go over to him and, and we get a moment where he puts his hands on him and 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 obviously feels sad because he did feel like there was something built there. But there was more story to be told. And I feel the same way about the two kids. Like, there was a lot more story to be told here and you just, you use them as either A, a punchline or B, a quick way out of, um, you know, danger. Both of those things are really frustrating to me. Yeah, that's where I totally get frustrated as well because you could feel it. Like, it just feels like maybe he's like, oh, this is going to be too much work to, like, write (laughs) the end of their, you know, story together, whatever. But, like, that's too bad, man. Like, that's what's going to make it, like, an interesting, better movie, you know? Like, put in that work because, like, you've set yourself up so well for it and it just seems like you're backing out of of it and that's just too bad like you i feel robbed there's a real clear easy ending for those characters too at the end of the movie when we see harry's bar they're the barbacks like they're working for him you know what i mean like there's an easy end point for these characters you know what I mean? like i just feel like the movie is so long like why is it so long and like nothing like no attention is paid to anything like why does it waste everything are there any really through lines that like really make sense from a to z i mean i would say harry Okay. Which is good because he's our main character. But like, I, I mean, I would say that Harry's through line makes sense. Um, and that may be what they were struggling with because they had that to make sense. And then it's like, well, I can't remove the DEA agent because that's how he gets out. You know, I can't do this. I can't do this because we have our main character figured out. Uh, so I'm not really sure about that. But like, I, I feel like Harry's journey made sense to me and i like in all of his times that he was talking about you know i can't go back i you know there's nothing for me there can i please just disappear and start over like i was there with that and then you know when the dea agent said yeah you died here tonight i'm like okay i mean that's simple but okay i'm there that 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 helps harry so i guess it helps his story along so i'm cool with it none of the others really made much sense uh or or were even completed i'm I'm right there too like for me this is Harry's movie like if I could just watch you know his story his through line like that would be good for me which which makes it all the more baffling as to find out how marketed this movie was you know like you could totally market this movie about that type of story about that you know about Harry's journey so it's so strange that they like did like a bait and switch almost you know where they're like come see this movie ah gotcha in the theater it's not that movie (laughs) you know from somebody who didn't really watch the trailer and I might be getting it wrong it felt more like this guy gets kidnapped in Mexico and now these executives have to figure out how to get him back like it felt like more of a Charlize movie or maybe that's just because she's a bigger star than the guy who played Martin Luther King like she's obviously the biggest star in this movie I guess you're gonna have her all over the trailer especially when she you know looks the way that she does and you know there's the scene in the movie where she's got her shirt way open so you can see her bra I just I I just don't know what's also strange and I want to sort of get your take on this is that apparently the whole character being Nigerian thing was written in after David Oyolowo was cast So, like, he brought all that to the movie. So, like, the things that you're saying that we're saying, you know, might work the best 
weren't there from the beginning. Weird. That they cast him, and he was That's... like, you know, bringing in, like, this naivete would be really good for the character, I think. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're probably right. Uh, let's do that. Okay, well, that's that's good and bad. It's good because that's writers and directors listening to an actor. Mm-hmm. And that's really good. And it helped the movie. Yes. That's bad because, well, what was there before? I don't know. Like, yeah, like who had that role ahead of time? What What were they envisioning for that part? There is still something there without him being Nigerian. I mean, make no mistake, but like that naivete is really important. Was it just a down on his luck American dude? Can you imagine this movie like with like a schlubby white guy who like just got dumped by his wife? Like that would be insufferable. If it was Joel Edgerton in the role, like, and then, <laughs> you know, I think his brother directed his this brother movie, did direct yeah. this. Yes, yeah, no, yes. That, Interesting. Nash, huh? Oh, Nash, Nash. That's right. Who I has never directed anything that I've seen, but he's actually weirdly enough, as we're recording this, you know, about a week before it comes out, there's a new series debuting on FX, and they called Mister In Between, which is about a hitman down on his luck, and he directed a bunch of that, or maybe the entire first season of that. So, you know, Joel Edgerton's been in a bunch of stuff. He's been really good in a lot of things. I don't know Nash, but you know, it's just weird that as we're recording this, there's another thing that he's going to be sort of in the mainstream-ish about. But the guy who wrote this, it was written by two people. Yeah. The one guy who, the main writer with, with more actual credits, wrote that Natalie Portman movie, Jane Got a Gun, that Western, mm. where oh, okay. I think her husband goes off to the frontier or something and she's left to defend her house, I think. I saw it, I don't remember it. But importantly, maybe, this guy is now apparently Hollywood's sequel guy because he's going to be writing Bad Boys for Life. He's going to be writing The Karate Kid 2. And he's going to be writing Suicide Squad 2. Bad Boys for Life is Bad Boys 3. Right, I know. But I'm just yeah, saying, like, you know, two. the he's he's writing all the sequel, like all the, the mm-hmm. he's, future franchise movies. Bad Boys 3, Karate man. Kid 2, Suicide Squad 2. They're getting a Suicide Squad 2? Oh, my God. Wait, Karate Kid Part 2 with Jaden Smith? I don't know. I don't that look at it. Hold on. That be interesting. I, that was actually a lot better than I was expecting. I can't, I gotta give it up for. I am right the there with Kung you. Fu Kid. It was not a bad movie at all. Jackie Chan was great in it. They just why it was called the Karate Kid is beyond me. Check out Cobra Kai though, because that was man, that was better. The that YouTube was series? way better than it had any credit to me. Like I was blown away by Cobra Kai. Okay. Uh, after the sudden death of Dre's old Kung Fu partner, Mister Han, young Kung Fu champion Dre Parker must learn the dark stepstones of how to become a good instructor and teach his old fellow enemies a little more than respect. Star Jackie Chan. He's the only one who's in this so far. But isn't he dead? Hey man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Movie magic. Okay, well, you know. So another thing that I saw on IMDb about this movie that I don't know anything about is that apparently a lot of this is either the plot is taken from or just referencing a bunch. Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. Harry grabs a copy of the book. Uh, Charlize discards a framed photo of his of Joel Edgerton's character participating in the running of the bulls, which is made famous by the novel. And then the plot of this generally relates to the novel in that it's an American man's journey in a Spanish-speaking country. And then he opens Harry's Bar, which is something, you know, I guess Hemingway, just, you know, a big drunk. So, like, not necessarily, tan- <laughs> like, specifically, but the fact that the book is in the movie, is this trying to be Hemingway? My opinion about this is drawing a lot from Hemingway or whatever is I don't care <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree <laughs> <laughs> like is the is it good or not good it may be interesting on some level especially if it's good 
I got into this conversation about Prometheus, which is like, you know, a, a good friend of mine and I were hey, arguing. you watch what you say about that movie around these parts. I look, I, I hold <laughs> I hold my ground on that movie that like all of this stuff about different types of philosophy and everything doesn't matter if the movie makes no sense. And if I find the character stupid and everything. So and here it's the same thing. Like if the movie's great, I'd love to dig in more to it and, and, and see how it relates to Hemingway. It doesn't warrant that. So well, what was the point? If you want to do that as a filmmaker, just go full tilt and like do an adaptation of Hemingway or make it overt and be like, yeah, that's what we're hanging this shirt on. That's the yeah. hanger here is like Hemingway. We're all right. about that. And like make it feel more like a Hemingway story, novel, whatever story. Like this didn't to me at any point remind me of Hemingway subconsciously or, or anything like that. I didn't pick up on any of those clues. So like that's the thing. If you're a filmmaker and you want people to you know, acknowledge something that you're trying to say in a movie, make sure you can say it properly and loud <laughs> enough, you know, so that people can hear and see it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like, 10 Things I Hate About You or Clueless, you know, those those films that it's like, it's still a modern film, and it's still its own entertaining thing, but it is, you know, it is a retelling of a story. And it's it's obvious once you start looking at it, but they made sure to make, to, to make damn sure that the movie itself worked on its own terms. This one, I mean, I like I said, I enjoyed this movie. I'd probably watch it again, mainly for David Oyelowo and Charlotte Copley. And because I miss this type of film. I miss this scale of film. And I did not know until you said so that this actually went to theaters. I thought this went direct to Amazon. And I this going to theaters, I mean, I could see it going to some festivals or something, but the idea of a movie like this going to theaters right now is a little weird to me. I don't feel like we live in that that moment where something like this goes there. But we just had Ocean's 8, right? So yep. maybe there is more room for that kind of thing than I'm than I'm initially thinking of. I miss this kind of movie with really high-level actors. Wait, are you saying, hold on, sorry, sorry to derail you, are you saying that Ocean's 8 shouldn't have gone to theaters? No, 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 I think it should have. I want to see more movies like this going to theaters. Okay. When you walk in the theaters now, most of what you see is going to be big blockbusters pretty much all year. But I think Ocean's 8 sort of fits with that, because it's a major franchise that people know. It's it's the name recognition. Even though it's a new cast, it's still like, hey, I saw those movies 10 years ago or whatever. I'm going to go see that new one. No, you're probably right about that. It's not a giant comic book movie. Right. You know okay. what I mean? It's not a. It's. I mean, yeah. it, actually, I don't even know what the budget was. It might have been a massive budget with that star power. So I'm not really sure. But it doesn't feel like a gigantic blockbuster in the way that Infinity War feels like a blockbuster. Seventy or, million. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty expensive. Yeah. This was actually not just like in theaters, but this was at like the local Googleplex, like at yeah. the mall, like mm-hmm. at the AMC. Really? You know, like yep. that was what shocked me. Yeah. And like, I think something that happened this summer after that is like that AMC started getting sort of smaller run films too. Like, um, sorry to bother you came out in the same theater. I was like, I can't believe I'm going to see this like at the mall. Huh. Yeah. So like, there's that one sort of like nice thing about it is like, at least it did get, you know, try to get like a proper theatrical release. And like these smaller movies are getting a little bit of attention. You know, like a star power, definitely Charlize being like yep. an executive producer may have had something to do with that, but that's great. That's good that she's behind material that is just uncommon these days. So here's yeah. a little bit of the, uh, the backstory behind the theater for this movie. So, Opened at 2,400 screens, was projected to make $5 million its opening weekend, only wound up making a little under a million on its first day. Projections were lowered to $3 million. It ended up debuting for the first weekend at $2.6 million, 11th at the box office its opening weekend. 
27th worst wide opening of all time. Second weekend dropped 76% to 630,000, and then the third weekend it was pulled from 2,200 theaters, grossing just $36,000 across the 200 that was still left. So it made, in the U.S. and Canada, combined 5 million, 11 million total worldwide. So like they had ambitions for this movie, and then very harsh critics like it has like i think like a 40 ish percent on like you know rotten tomatoes and like metacritic and stuff like that not that that's necessarily great indicators but it's what people use to see if they should go see a movie or not critics were very critical of this movie maybe mismarketing or just i don't know what it was but they had high hopes like mike was saying like it was everywhere and then two weeks later it was nowhere this is bizarre because i have absolutely no memory of seeing this trailer or seeing an internet ad or seeing anything related to a theatrical release. And I watch for trailers. Like, I watch trailers. I go, I'm on IMDb most days, and so whatever the new trailer's on, I usually take a peek at, regardless mm-hmm. of what they are, whether they're going to be, you know, festival darlings or whether they're going to be big blockbusters. I, I just happen to like trailers. I like, like it's, it's, it's almost its own form of filmmaking. Yeah. But I have absolutely no memory of this being in a trailer or anything. I am one data point, so obviously we can't just trust my experience, but that would lend me to think that like maybe this maybe the marketing department didn't do the best job. I don't think they did cuz this movie came out in March and I mean I see a ton of movies in theaters and I remember seeing this movie in the trailer a handful of times and I meant to go see it but it came out in one of those times where like a lot of stuff came out like the same weekend it came out as the Hurricane Heist, Strangers Pray at Night and Wrinkle in Time. So like it came out on not oh, Jesus. you know not that those are not that Hurricane no, Heist or The Strangers Prey at Night are huge movies, but like Wrinkle in Time is yeah. going to dwarf everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and like, that but weekend, that yeah. also meant that Black Panther was still number one. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is like yeah, a month after that. There's just too much, too much competition for this small little guy. <laughs> and, you know, I think there is a lot for the critics to be critical of of this film. I'm not, I'm not going to defend it that way. Like, I, I, I do think there are problems with it. Again, that's not the, the, the whole story, especially Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. It's not the whole story. But I just, I, like... I do not have any memory of the presence of this film. Like, and that's yeah. weird. Cause like even usually even itty bitty films, I will at least like, Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Nothing. Like I got nothing. Well, another thing that was kind of weird. And again, maybe goes to you not being, you know, you just as one data point, but still being like a representative data point, a little behind the scenes gossip for you guys. When we sign up for a new podcast, we send the link, the list of the movies that we're going to cover to a bunch of people that, you know, we think might want to be, guests either past guests or new people like you know this time around while we were doing watch the throne we you know got to know nick and real bad joined our podcast network we're like hey you want to do some of these things long story short no one signed up for this movie that this was a movie that is new this year that came out this year and no one wanted to do nobody still even like when you know we had been doing it was like hey let me do Gringo until like a week or two ago, you were like, Nick was like, this seems like a movie that's that I want to learn a little bit more about. Like, let me do this. But like, nobody had heard of this movie, I don't think, because I feel like mm-hmm. people would have wanted to like somebody like we asked a bunch of people like we we've we've had a lot of different guests on here and no one has signed up for this and no one even mentioned it, Mike, I don't think. No. Yeah, I wasn't even aware of it, you know, and and I mean, I wouldn't have looked for it either if it wasn't on our list for 
watch the throne either because like we made that list and i don't even think it was announced yet and we we're like what's gringo i guess we're gonna find out one day <laughs> uh and then so when it came into theaters and it showed up on fandango like that's the only reason i i had a clue about it you know what i'm saying so it was just it's just super duper under the radar for some reason well and when i saw that list initially i didn't know what it was so right. i didn't sign up for it because i was like i have no idea i think i probably saw that pre-roll and i was like oh it's a Charlize theron movie you haven't done yet I can be a part of this, <laughs> and, and uh, hey, also get you in there. Yeah, yeah. also for that uh, for that pre-roll, it looked like the type of movie that I would be interested in, which is a mid-budgeted dark comedy. Like which it kind of was. It just you know wasn't a good one. I would say it's passable. It's passable, yeah. but it has problems. I think your compliment that saying, you know, you would watch it again is a, a high compliment. I mean, I don't agree with that. I won't watch this movie again. But like being willing to give another two hours of your time to this movie like that, that's a, that's a thing a lot. I, would, I wouldn't stop someone from wanting to watch this movie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like if someone asked me, how's Gringo? I said, give it a try. You, you never know. You might like it. Like I, it wasn't entirely for me, but there were things I really liked about it, you know? So this could be someone else's like piece of toast yes who knows mm-hmm. really the only reason that I, I it's not because of plot it's not because i like anything having to do with marijuana it's just i love all of these actors um and the only thing that really makes me angry about it is how tandy newton's character was treated and as her as an actor it's like i love her why is why is she in such a small part <laughs> They must have really, really wanted her, like, super bad, like, for whatever reason. Who knows? But maybe she's a good luck charm. Who knows? Maybe, or maybe a lot was edited out. I don't know. Just something quick to do between seasons of Westworld. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking sort of of Westworld, not really, but you know, the closest thing we've had to Westworld on this podcast, Mike, is A Million Ways to Die in the West, and this is a uh, Charlize Theron, Amanda Seyfried reunion from oh my A Million God. Ways to Die in the West. Pick up on that. All right. Because they don't share any screen time in this movie. Nope. So... <laughs> But they share a lot of screen time. Well, not a lot of screen time, yeah. but they, you know, well, they're yeah. both competing over Seth MacFarlane in that one. So, you know, this movie, yeah. not so much. This movie, a little <laughs> more realistic than that movie. But they are both kind of, it, Harry is their, their, their connection point. So it is True. over a man. Oh, man. I just have Owen Lars, Owen Lars, Uncle Owen. Like, I just kept writing it over and over because <laughs> I really want to see him reintegrated into that universe he's so good it's so funny he's so good i talk to kyle from foodie films about this all the time my dream obi-wan movie is him teaming up with owen lars and going on some adventure just because edgerton and ewan mcgregor uh, ewan mcgregor like i just want to see them work together like in a star wars movie it's so funny the only star wars the only non you know trilogy Star Wars movie I've wanted is the Obi-Wan movie that like takes place in the desert and it's like a a sad western. It's the only one I've wanted. Yeah. And it's probably the one that's not going to happen because the other two underperformed. <laughs> Hopefully they're they're really high on doing like part 3s and stuff over in Star Wars land so like we just got to squeeze out one more Star Wars story before we, you know, hang it up for a while. Let's please for me. When I talk about movies that I like that are like this, the one that comes to mind for me is something that I saw recently. Again, it's not a perfect movie, but I really like it. And it's called Kill Me Three Times. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I've never even heard of it. No, I haven't. So it's a Simon Pegg starring movie. It's a really intricate plot, so I don't want to give too much away. But he plays an assassin. How his particular job weaves into the lives of a bunch of other people. And it is a dark comedy. And it's Simon Pegg, so... It's good comedy, I feel like. But it, again, it's a mid-budget, 
movie. I it probably got a small theatrical release, but like those are the movies I'm I'm really here for lately. Like, yes, I love a good blockbuster, but something like this comes along and it's like, I guess I'm I'm just more willing to give it it's kinda like on my podcast, I am much more willing to give the benefit of the doubt to lower budgeted movies than I am to the the uber high-budgeted movies. So, you know, when you have a mid-budgeted thing with really good actors or people who are really trying, I'm like, you know what? I, I'll give that another chance. I'll watch that again and see what they do. So, yeah, I, I think that's really where I'm coming from on it. I want to see if I can find the budget for this movie and see if we can play a little guessing game. It's so hard because I, I know what... I think I know what Charlize is worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah in a movie but i don't know if the, as a producer i don't know if that's what she got paid i don't know if i can find it it's not on imdb it's they scrubbed it from the net it's not on box office <laughs> mojo it's not on the numbers.com which is a site that i just found out about someone tweet the edgerton brothers quick. where where would it be on financial right uh it would be on box office and business and box office or box office and numbers or something like that i don't think there's the i don't think the budget's out there i don't think the budget information exists for this movie like i don't know that's weird <laughs> I, I, it can't have. It cannot have made money. Even it made eleven million. You say domestically, basically. No, it made eleven million I mean, worldwide. Oh, Ooh. worldwide. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said like Canada. Or no, North it made America. five million here um, in Canada combined, and it made another six worldwide. Five. Like, they, there's no way. Okay. They made this movie for less than $11 million. Even if the marketing oh, budget no. was just showing that one trailer to me four times in theaters, uh, you know, for $8 or whatever the marketing budget was. Well, I mean, they made t-shirts and shit and right? true. Like posters and stuff. I mean, Thoroughbreds ended up coming out with t-shirts, too. I, I have mean, one of those, those, too, and I love it. That's Those aren't free. I can tell you what the movie should not have cost. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> anything over $30 million, I think, right. is too much. Oh, I would yeah, agree. yeah, yeah. And anywhere under 30, I'm like, okay, that's fine. And most of that's going to go to your actors, in my opinion. Right. You know, there were a couple small digital effects, nothing really crazy. There were some good car hits, you know, like oh, yeah. hit by car. Uh, some good, like... Car I, going I felt, over the cliff? The, yeah, the digital blood was way above par than I usually see, I felt. You know, stuff like the gunshots. It was a little stunt, but I liked it, and they augmented it with uh, a digital effect, was when Harry was trying to climb over the wall, oh, yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then he falls <laughs> onto the cement. It's like that that digital effect that helped him just land really hard <laughs> worked a very well. thump, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sound design helped as well. So yeah, if I were looking at budgeting something like this, I would have not over 30 for something along these lines. What did they spend? Ooh, I don't know. If you told me they cracked 100 on this, I guess I would be a little sick to my stomach, but it wouldn't surprise me um, because some things just I, some things just get out of control, and those also happen to be the things that nobody goes to see. No, I don't think this costs anywhere near $100 million. I can't imagine that it would. But it could get up to like half, which makes my stomach hurt. You but know, Mike, like, you said oh, that yeah, for you sure. said Charlize was an executive producer on this? No, she's just I think she's just a producer. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I saw in the credits I saw her name pop up a couple times. Okay. So I guess I think I just threw out executive producer. Then I wonder if maybe, you know, I, I'm guessing that, you know, movies like this that maybe she wants to do for whatever reason, like maybe the script is great, who knows? Uh, that this is a movie that I saw she signed on to do in twenty fourteen. It started filming in twenty sixteen. So like there was this movie was a long time coming, okay? And I wonder if she signed on she loved this 
script, whatever, whatever, and then decided to take points on the back end instead of commanding whatever 12, 15, 18, 20 million, whatever she would make otherwise for a starring role. I don't know. I mean, that makes sense. That seems like a logical thing to do. One of the things that I wrote down in my notes, and I didn't write too many notes about this because we're doing another two movies on a different podcast uh, here in the near future. And one of the things I'm specifically doing on that is trying to watch both of those movies without any background and just take the movies in. I did a little bit of that on here, but I did take some notes. And one of my first notes is, and it relates to this question of budget, why are any of these people in this movie? Like, you've got seriously high-powered actors in here, in Charlize Theron and Tandy Newton especially. Joel Edgerton is also not unknown. He's really carved out a nice career for himself. Right. I don't know what attracted them to this particular project. Like, I get Atomic Blonde, you know? I get a lot of the things that Charlize does. I don't... I don't understand what the draw was to this for a lot of these people. Yeah, this this to me feels like she came dangerously close to her first VOD, you know, like her first sort of like, you know, I mean, mm. poor Hanks had one come out like one or two years ago, right? Like even he... Hologram for the of, King? Yeah, so like, I, it kind of just seems like sometimes it's hit and miss. Like you never exactly know how it's going to turn out and maybe everyone just was like so down for this and behind it and was like yeah we're gonna do this and you know ended up sort of flopping yeah i mean we see i feel like we see it like often like especially like cage and keanu like they've done a lot of vod stuff and like not so much with cage i get that a little bit more but keanu from time to time i'm just like what is he thinking taking this movie like what can he possibly see in this like i don't get it and that's sort of i did get that moment there were times in this movie i was just like i can't believe like all of this talent uh, kind of just like couldn't just like yep. knock it out of the park. Yep. I mean, if the script's not there, the script's not there. And a lot of times you don't know that until you're in the editing room, right? Like you you spend time on set and everything feels like it's crackling and working pretty well. And maybe there's a couple things that stand out. But then when you start looking at it in post, all of a sudden you're going, hmm, something's missing. And maybe there wasn't money for reshoots or or for pickups or anything like that. I mean, who knows? There could be any kind of chemistry that could make this all fall apart. It was just, again, one of those things where it's like one person is in it, like Nicolas Cage. Like you get those movies where you see like, well, okay, I get this. Nicolas Cage is in this. He's got a lot of back taxes to pay. So he's going to take a lot of jobs. And then occasionally he'll take something like Mandy where he can just have fun, right? But then you start adding more and more high caliber people into it. And I'm st- and that's when I'm really like, what was it about this that was drawing so many people to it? Maybe it's the magnetism of Charlize is on board. So if Charlize is on board, then I can do it. So the, 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 obviously it's going to be good. And you can, I mean, it does work from time to time. Like with Cage with like Seeking Justice, like him and Guy Pierce going like toe to toe in that whole movie, you know? And the like, Hungry Rabbit Jumps. Yeah, like <laughs> they really, it's funny. Like that to me feels like a movie where I watched and was like, I can't believe like this isn't like known by people right. in, in theaters and stuff. Yeah, so like it's it's even worse when like you know like it's possible. I guess when like these <laughs> movies can be great. I don't know why this is in the movie. I just like Charlize's delivery about how she's like a rumor went around that I let the lacrosse team pull a train on me in the Dairy Queen parking lot. I hated the lacrosse team. I would never let them do it. I was just like, oh, like that's weird specific characterization. But I like that she kind of owns that rumor. <laughs> question mark. And something about never being caught dead at a Dairy Queen. Yeah. It's like you don't know what you're missing out. Character. I know. 
that you're playing. I say crazy shit all the time. I don't mean it literally. And then he says, you said literally put him out of his misery. He says, oh my fuck. I meant not literally, literally. Literally is the thing people say now. It doesn't mean a thing. Which feels like the screenwriter raging against America, kind of. But also, I liked her delivery of it, so I, you know, I appreciated but, that. But that's like one of the most clever lines in the film. It feels like something maybe she contributed. Like, that, maybe. you know, now that we're talking about how, like... At, you know, when they got in the new actor, he brought all this stuff about his own background and everything. Like, maybe she came up with that line. That's very possible. I often, I feel similarly to the discussion about the Bible. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? And I don't care because it's great. Because I love David Oyelowo's performance there where he's being very calm and explaining the difference between Peter and Judas. Like, he's, he's well, because, you know, it's... <laughs> It, it's it's really good, and it also, I, I agree, it makes me feel like, is this something that David and Charlto came up with together? And they were, so maybe there was more improv involved in this. Who knows? I also just, oh, oh, my, my so two things left. Uh, number one, I thought it was cute that at the end of the movie that he's still in touch with Amanda Seifer, that he sends her a picture saying happy birthday from the beach, and he's in her phone as Houdini, which I think is kind of cool, kind of cute. But, Mike, important to note that way back to Sleepwalkers, written and directed or whatever by a different Bill Maher, but Bill Maher in this movie. Wait, what? Bill, Not the Bill Maher Yeah, time, at the end it? of the Uh-oh, movie new on no TV. Nos. New no-nos. New no-nos. At the end of this movie, Charlize is talking to Bill Maher on TV. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, there's like an interview, like now that she's the president of this pharmaceutical company, she's on new rules and she's talking to Bill Maher, so. Ugh, that was the worst. Yeah, she's talking about Harry and then he has a really terrible, very Bill Maher joke. How wow, Nigeria to Chicago to Mexico, how did he survive at all? Dun 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 new rules. That's all I got on this. Any other notes about Gringo before we do our last few things on the show? Um, not from me, thank you. Yeah, not for me either. I think that I, it, it exists really in the middle for me. Yeah, it's a real close one for me. You know what I'm saying? Like I I, I was rooting for it, but yeah. unfortunately it just didn't come in first. You know, I've been ranking my Charlize movies, and I have this, I think, 29th out of 44-ish, which is... This seems about right. You know, I gave it two stars on Letterboxd. Like, I don't think it's good, but it's oh, but much it better than a right. lot of the other like, things that she's yeah. done. I mean, all as long as Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest is ahead of this on your list, Joey, I'm satisfied. Oh, I sound pretty... I've got... Hold on. That's got to be higher than this. <laughs> That's still top five. Oh, 21. It's 21 for me. So there okay, we go. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> So, Nick, we have uh, a quick game that we play here on the show. It's called Unfortunate Improv, and specifically the game that we're playing here is Stan Lee Yourself. So if you won, I don't know what kind of contest this would be, but if you want to walk on roll into the movie Gringo, what part would you play? Either a part that already exists in the movie, or how would you write yourself into this movie? Where would you be? Not like necessarily a, a leading role, but just sort of like, you know, a background character or a character with a few lines, either replacing someone or a new addition. Yeah. Who would you be in Gringo? I would be the undercover DEA agent. Okay. I liked his reveal because I didn't see it coming. I don't know if you guys did, but when it happened, I was no, like, oh, that's all. funny. Okay. I liked how he, you know, he didn't get killed, but I liked how his character sort of went out. Yeah. And I feel like I would be sort of believable in it. I wouldn't be believable as a Hispanic person. That's for sure. Right. But I, I, I would be believable as a middle-aged DEA agent. All right. Nice. Cool. Mike, who would you be? All right. So I'm going to 
go with like a super small roll. I usually take small rolls in these. So uh, I'm gonna buy guitar strings from Amanda Seyfried. I was thinking <laughs> that too. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, right before Paris shows up, I was like in and out of the store. Cool. Just needed those for a gig that night. I'm trying to think. Okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to be. Well, no, I don't really. Mm. Ideally, I would like to have a scene with either Charlize or Amanda Seyfried. I was gonna say that I would be at Harry's bar at the end. Uh, you know, just one of that couple on the beach ordering drinks from him. But that's that feels kind of boring. Which I guess also kind of you know tracks with how I feel about this movie. If I want to give myself a little bit, something more exciting to do, when Amanda Seyfried and her boyfriend see at the cafe, they see David Oyelowo uh, alone, and she wants to finish her margarita, but he's like, you know, they brush their teeth down here with tequila, we can get one anywhere. I'm going to be a waiter in that scene, just comes up to them and just says, another drink, ma'am? And she says, no, 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 I'm still working on this one. I was like, very good, and I just walk away. <laughs> all right. We have an email address we all here. Won. <laughs> we all won. We're always winners here. We have an email address here, watch at cageclub.me. Pretty sure we don't have email. We are running out of time for you to email in. We have a couple emails so far that we've gotten, but just say hi. The last thing we have to do here is nominate this for some awards. Now, Nick, one thing that we do on our shows, since, basically, since we did... Did we do this for Keanu as we went through? No, right? We started with this no, one. No, no. We, yeah, we made sure to start with this one because it caused a lot of, sort of, like, aggravation at the end of Keanu Club and Cage Club, where we had to take, like, hours to decide what we were going to nominate. Yes. So, one thing we're doing, Nick, is as we go through the movies, we are nominating them for different categories. I'll read through them quickly. In a couple weeks, after we do Tully next week, Mike and I are then, the next episode is going to be... Our black and chrome teeth, the the black and chrome grills or whatever. We're going to not uh, announce the award nominees, and people can vote on them in on Cageclub.me. But to get to that point, we're going to sort of cull things down a little bit. But before we do, let's nominate this for some stuff. So best film, no. Worst film, no. Here's an interesting one, Mike. I'm not sure. I think it sort of. I think Nick might agree, but I'm not sure. Is this? Uh, the most a most fun bad film nominee or no? Um, I, I I would not go as far to say that this is bad. Yeah, it's not like that. I don't. I would. It's not like what we created the category. Okay. Bad. Like what's in this category? Like let's write. Eon Flux, Astronaut's right. Wife, Children of the Corn Ooh. Three, and Sweet November. Exactly. Right. Like I mean, Astronaut's Wife's probably going to win that. <laughs> <laughs> I think. But yeah, Children of the Corn Three is going to win that. I think. Well, because well, I mean, I just. There's just a special place in my heart for that movie for some reason. Urban Harvest, I mean, it's just so bonkers. Yeah, I don't think it belongs... No, it's it's not schlocky enough, you know? Okay. Uh, most wildly inconsistent tone, I think, yes. That'll go for. I would be the dissenting opinion on that. So you think it? You think it's consistently toned throughout? Yeah, I do. It's fair. Craziest ending to a movie that doesn't deserve it, I don't think so. I think everything sort of wraps up in a, in a good way. Best Charlie's role, no. Worst Charlie's role, maybe. Maybe. No. I, I, I haven't seen all of the films that you guys have. That's for sure. What's in the category? Cypher, Fate of the Furious. Yeah, that's... Ella, Battle in Seattle. Oof. Jolene, mm. Sleepwalking. Supermodel in Celebrity. And Sally in Hollywood Confidential. Jeez, I can't even remember half of them. I know, that's pretty bad. I would still argue for, I love her and I, I'm i still, con- I don't know, I just don't think it's a good role for anyone. So I, so how about we do most wasted Charlie's performance then, which is a different category. I mean, I would co-sign on that. Okay. I think that's a happy sort of medium there, yeah. As I Elaine think that's why we came up with that Markinson. category. Yes. 
We're always hedging our bets, Joey. <laughs> we're gonna we're probably gonna cut one of these out, maybe. Uh, most extreme manic picks, Dream Girl. No, I feel like a movie that would rather see than this is a a movie in which Amanda Seyfried is just a manic pixie dream girl, and she and Harry have a great relationship down in Mexico after they've lost everything. I mean, I would even settle for Amanda Seyfried and her boyfriend having some, like, locked-up-abroad situation happening to them type of movie thing, but we didn't even get that. Uh, Most sexist film, no, because there's been worse, and actually I don't think it's necessarily sexist, even though the women don't have a lot to do. Worst name, we're going to dump, because there's only two things there. Best character transformation, no. Best Charlie's outfit wardrobe, no. Best accent voice, no. Best or worst love story, no. Best love triangle, no. I mean, I don't it's think... It's not that... terrible. It's, it's no, just it's like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like since it gave her character extra depth and dimension when, like, it was so yeah. scarce for everybody in this movie, it might actually earn a spot up there. Because like, that, that, that is some of the most interesting stuff with those characters, you know? The, so you, you were talking about her and Tandy Newton and... Joel Edgerton, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll put that in there. We can we can figure that out when we talk about this in a week or two, Mike. You and me. Best death. She doesn't die. Best non Charlize death. No one really dies. I don't think of note. What do you mean? No one really dies. Like Charlize Copley gets shot in the die. head, but like in a cool way. Kids for the- yeah, not in a cool way. You said I mean, nobody dies, and I was... Oh, I said of no, but like in a notable <laughs> way is more what I meant. Yeah, does anybody... Die? Everybody dies from a gunshot, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, nothing special. So uh, best fight. Not one that she's involved in. No. Best line. Or best freak out. Is there a thing she says in this movie that we want to... Look, you brought up those lines, and I, yeah, I don't disagree with you. Down. The ones about literally... Best freak out. Okay, the literally one I think of best freak out. That's pretty good. And then I loved her little monologue in the car. Okay, so I'll do... I'll, no, I'll nominate one for, one for each of these. So best freak okay. out. Oh my fuck. <laughs> and the best line... Did you not smoke every girl in every fucking pageant you ever entered? That's what I thought. You were a winner, Elaine. You've always been a winner. Who's daddy's blue ribbon girl? That's right. I am. I'm the blue ribbon girl. Yeah. Her name's Elaine in this movie? Yes, it is. It's close to Eileen, portrait of a serial killer. Ooh. Mm. Eileen Warnos. Ooh, there's another thing just to, uh, you know, say again for Nick. There's another line that we've nominated. We're going to cut this down because there's a ton of these, Mike. But did you really think I was going to sit in a boardroom for years arguing over who was in charge while you go look for some miracle on some godforsaken rock in the middle of space, a king has his reign and then he dies. It's inevitable. That is the natural order of things. Prometheus. Yep. It's a good line, completely without context. And, <laughs> but once you start adding the context, it makes no sense whatsoever. Fair enough. Best cinematography? No. Best song? Was there no. a song in oh, this movie? There was well, actually um, a cool cover song in this, wasn't there? I can't remember what There were it a couple was, covers, but there's also just, you know, getting jiggy with it. Oh, yeah, there you go. All yeah, right, I'm going to put that in there. <laughs> if we could ever nominate that song, Joey, we have to take it. <laughs> Fair. Best score soundtrack? No. Best dance scene? No. And then here's the last thing. Best or worst non-Charlie's performance, male or female? Anybody in this movie stand out as great? Oh. You want to nominate David Oyelowo? No, I want to nominate Charlotte Copley. Okay. Yeah, Copley all the way. Charlotte he was really good. Like Copley. he was not within the context of this movie even. Like it was a really he did a really great job. Mitch like that dude Russ. is magnetic. That's a guy who also just came out of nowhere. Like he was a producer for Neil Blomkamp and Neil was like, I need an actor for District Nine. <laughs> he's like, Yeah, I'll try it. And now he's like an amazing actor. Yeah. <laughs> like it's awesome. <laughs> it was the only good thing about that A team movie. Oh, I still have to see that A team movie, but I loved him in um Hardcore Henry. He's amazing in that movie. 
He is he very plays good like in that. five or six different characters. And that movie is almost nothing, right? Like it's not even. <laughs> it's not. Oh, it's like barely a, it's a movie. It's like a first-person shooter on the rails. Like yeah. you're just watching someone play. Yeah, but it's a lot of. It's actually a lot more fun than I thought it would be. And then I don't think there is a worst actor in this. I no. think every. I think the talent was on screen, and they did a good job with what they were given. I think we also might cut worst. One thing that's good, but also want to keep keep it positive well we'll keep it positive but also like we genuinely in 45 episodes we have not nominated a single female for worst non-charlize female which is cool because that means there's no other bad women on screen but usually like in this movie there's just not other women on screen like amanda seyfried's in this and Fanny newton's in this but they have very very small roles you know what i mean like yeah it's cool mm-hmm. that they're not given shitty parts but at the same time usually if charlize is in the movie there's no other major woman so that's disappointing. But anyway, we've nominated Gringo for seven things. Most wildly inconsistent tone, most wasted Charlie's performance, best love triangle, best line, best freak out, best song, and best male actor slash role. Oh, man. How are people voting going to even know like, about this movie? Like, it's so fucked up. Like, Oh, I mean, you know, we had people vote on Cage and Keanu. You think people saw, like, Act of Vengeance or, like, I wonder Birdie? if they watched it just to vote. That would be amazing. Let us know if you're going to watch anything just to vote for the awards. Do you, you think all of the Academy members actually watch everything they're voting for? No, people vote for what no, they know. I, yeah. Of course not. No, but yeah. Mike, this is going to be I'd one like of those ones, imagine. you know, like when we had uh, Montez on Zack Attack or, you know, we, we did, was Montez on Keanu Club too? I can't remember. There was so many episodes. Ago. I don't know. When Montez was on Zack Attack, we we're like, she's like, oh, but nobody voted for this person. You know what I mean? Like, there's just movies mm-hmm. that Zack Efron has done that nobody's heard of, that nobody voted on, that we might love, but you know, the normal person has never heard of the Derby Stallion, or yeah. if you lived here, you'd be home yeah. now, or whatever. Part of the awards is just creating awareness, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's really a Charlie's awareness campaign that you and I are running here, <laughs> and the awareness is like, don't see a lot of these movies. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess it's more of like an anti-awareness campaign. Like, just want to bring it to your attention. Don't watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Does she get an award for like best actor in the worst movies, or does that really go to Nicolas Cage? Nicolas Cage. So okay, so here, so here's here's we got, we got to put our foot down here. So Mike and I watched <laughs> the first seventy-two or seventy-eight, uh-huh. seventy-two or seventy-eight, and we thought that there were genuinely three movies I think in there that we didn't like. They're not always yeah. good, but I think. I think that people say he's in worse movies than he's actually in. I think he's just in a lot. Yeah, it gets to be too much for people to keep track of, so I think they just go with sort of like popular opinion or what they know best, and there's just a lot of stuff that gets lost in the mix that's actually quite good. Like, now that Mandy's out, people are like, oh, where is Nicolas Cage gone? Is he back? Like, you know, all this different stuff. It's like, well, you know, if you've been watching, he puts out, there's a couple really good movies he puts out a year. It's just surrounded by a handful of, like, straight-to-VOD trash that sometimes he's really good in and sometimes he's really bad in. Like, 2.11, which came out this year, is my least favorite Nicolas Cage movie of all time it's irredeemably it's bad terrible. we're willing to admit like that movie is horrible yeah we're not but, insane like, you people get, but you get like stuff like army of one and it's like legitimately yep. like awesome you know no one's seen it so it just it when people say mandy like cage is putting in like an incredible performance it's like well he's done it but you just haven't really you yep. know, seen it so it's out there mandy is a special case also because it's an incredibly visually potent trailer that I makes seen you the trailer same really I've seen the movie twice. Oh. I haven't seen the trailer. Reg- 
regardless, the movie also, like, if you're looking at any of the production materials on it, it's going to look different than the production, or not the production materials, sorry, the uh, marketing materials. It's going to look different than anything for Army of One. You know, just naturally, it's going to be more striking, and there's just going to be much more that makes people pay attention to it, just because of Panos's visual style. That's probably why more people are immediately paying attention to it. Also, it's a, you know, pseudo-horror film, so... I don't know, even in his, you know, huge number of work, I don't know how many real straight-up horror films he's done. Well, he had one no. early this year with Mom and Dad, so he's uh, really great in that Sort too. of, kind of, pay the ghost, but not really? Mm, not really. That's more of like a, well, I guess so. Well, I mean, so, second so Nick, watching this, of that really improved that movie. Nick, this is all you really need to know, is that when Mike and I started this podcast, and our first movie was Children of the Corn 3, we relished the fact that we finally got to talk about a horror movie for one of our <laughs> actors, because, like, Cage hasn't done any key. Keanu hasn't done any, you know, Charlize has, she's sort of drifted, I guess, more toward, but not really. She's more into sci-fi, a lot of sci-fi. Yeah. I mean, Prometheus is a horror movie. Yeah, but it's... I mean, for me, it's more, it's first and foremost, it's like a sci-fi movie, because I just am not scared by it, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's... And it's a very deep, it tries to be more of a philosophical type thing as opposed to like a scary, I feel. Sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Give me a horror movie, for God's sakes. Yeah. Uh, but the last thing I want to do on the show is plug a couple podcasts. So number one, we have Nick here to talk about Real Bad. But before we get to Real Bad, I want to shout out our newest podcast on the network, a new, new show. show X is for podcast, all about the X-Men comics it's covering. Classic X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, Giant Size X-Men, Captain Britain, a whole bunch of different things. Nico, who was on our That Thing You Do episode, he and... A rotating gaggle of co-hosts are going to go through the X-Men comics starting in, you know, Uncanny X-Men 94-ish or something every other Wednesday. So the first episode is out now, and the next episode will come out next week. So go check that out. Yeah, I think they start with Giant Size X-Men number one, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's sort of their jumping off point. Yep. Yeah. There's a bunch it's of really good stuff. I like one. that first episode. Yeah, the really Jim Lee cool. one with... That where they did a bunch of different covers. So that is super cool, super exciting. I'm excited to... We've been close to having, you know, a, a comics podcast here on the network for a while. I'm excited that we finally got this one with X-Men. Go check it out every other Wednesday. X is for podcast. But also this month, we are now officially in October, the spookiest month of the year. This episode comes out Friday, October 5th, which means that we are already one episode deep into a five-episode, I think, horror movie run on Real Bad. Is that true? That is correct. So what came out this past... What, what came out this week that's not out as we're recording this, but that is out as you're listening to this? Uh, well, the, <laughs> the first one is uh, the 19... I believe 79 made-for-TV film Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Ooh. Oh, no shit. You got a copy of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I've never seen a complete version of it. Oh, let me know. I'll mail mail it to you. Sweet. But it's, uh, yeah, so that's the one. We're actually going to be recording it in a couple days. Very exciting. Super excited about it. This goes back to my high school days when one of my best friends was super into Kiss and made me watch the movie. And uh, wow, that was an experience. (laughs) So... Uh, yeah, every week this week is going to be a different horror film, a uh, bad horror film on Real Bad, because we want to talk about bad movies and why they seem to want to hurt us. Uh, we'll be doing our first uh, also uh, Patreon submission which with the film Existence, which I contend oh, is not bad, boy. but gross. Oh, yeah. So, I, I really like that. It's a Cronenberg, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Might be yeah, the only cool. Cronenberg film we ever have on the... <laughs> 
podcast, but uh, the patrons have spoken. So they want us to talk about existence. We'll talk about existence. And it's also going to be of note to us. We are also going to have another sort of butting of the heads, potentially, depending on how you come out on it. But this past Wednesday on Mike's show, Third Time's a Charm, uh, he and I and Dan Cologne talked about Halloween 3, which we all really dig. And you're yep. talk, talking about it in a couple weeks, right? We are. Um, it's a film that I've seen quite a few times, actually. And uh, I'll be interested to see what my panel thinks of it. I kind of like it. Phew. <laughs> I, I, I think that the problem with Halloween 3 is not the movie itself, but that it existed in a franchise that had already had two films that uh, had set up a world. Yep. And then they tried to break mm-hmm. from it. I think the ideas in it are really neat. Oh, it's real weird. Oh, it's weird as hell. But I like weird. Give me weird. Go for it. And so, yeah, there's some stuff in it that's not great, but I, I'll be sure I'll be talking about that. But I, I kind of enjoy it. So it might even be a um, St. Patrick's Day movie one day. Who knows? I mean, I know, like right? Halloween and St. Patrick's Day in one movie. <laughs> Two for it's like Die Hard. It's Christmas <laughs> and just every day. Uh, and then we're going to finish off our this is going to be one of the more interesting ones. We're finishing off our Evil Dead run by talking about all three seasons of Ash versus Evil Dead. Oh, right. Oh, cool. Already, I know there are a lot of differing opinions on, uh, so it's going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, and then I can't remember what our final movie is, but it is planned out. Is, uh, is Ash versus the Evil Dead the show's first time doing anything in television? Um, now, or well, have you done TV movies? Or? T- well, I mean, technically, Kiss versus uh, the Phantom of the Park is TV. That was shown on TV? Yeah, that was made for television. That was like, I oh, think, an ABC. Oh, I thought that was made for like the Kiss fan club or something. I don't think <laughs> the so. Kiss I think Army. it was like an ABC movie of the week or something. Really? Oh, crap. Interesting. Yeah. It's insane. Okay. One of my guests once said, is this movie a hoot or a poot? And so this is a Halloween spooptacular. Ooh, I like it. So that's, that's going to be all October. And uh, I'm very excited about it because my favorite bad movies are horror movies. Yeah. So, so every Monday here on the Cage Club Podcast Network on cageclub.me and everywhere you get podcasts. You can check out the new episodes of Real Bad. We have not, Mike and I have not been on an episode yet because they only record locally, but my goal is to get out to Missoula sometime again because Missoula is beautiful. Montana is beautiful. But also because I've been on, I think, every other show and I want to be on this one. So at some point. We would love to have you. And also, I feel like based on your list of movies you're going to cover, you know, you, you have said to me that I could pick whatever movie you know i want if i if i make the trip out there i get to pick the movie i feel like i almost might have to pick a nicholas cage movie or tokyo drift and just be the lone defender of whatever i pick no 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 no, you guys this movie is great (laughs) and here's why look if you come on for tokyo drift i think you're not going to be the only defender oh because tokyo drift is great I can't tell you. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> Nicolas Cage, come at me. I would love to watch anything Anything with... I, I really love Nick Cage, and I would love to see anything with him in it, even if it's bad. So, Well, we've seen them all, so you're yeah. in the right spot and for Some that. of them multiple times, yeah. even. I mean, we're doing this revisited thing to keep the feet alive. So <laughs> <laughs> we're never going to stop. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. I feel like sometimes, you know, you're just part of the family. I feel like you're not necessarily a guest, but just here with us but thank you for joining us well thank you for having me this is lovely and it was it was nice to watch uh, a film that i was middle of the road about i've spent the last i don't know year with either i love it or i hate it and so uh it was it was refreshing to see a film that's just like ah this is you know there's some good stuff and bad stuff in it it's fine yeah and you snuck in just under the wire you know we only have one movie left like we were saying next week is tully the only other movie that charlie's was in that came out this year can't wait i don't know why i said that like that like two movies out in a year is still a lot just not you know for cage standards I mean, we have one more movie coming up, and then we're doing the sort of wrap-up stuff, and then we'll be back 
for Flarsky and whatever else comes out next year. But for all things Watch the Throne and Real Bad and Access for Podcasts and other 17 shows for a grand total of 20, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email this show watch at cageclub.me. Let us email you. You just missed the October newsletter, but if you want to go to cageclub.me slash newsletter, we can send you the best of the best of what the network has to offer each month. And also, while you're poking around on the internet, go to Patreon and check out Real Bad. If you like the sound of Nick's voice and you want to contribute a couple dollars per month to that voice, go <laughs> give him a couple bucks. That's a great thing to do. Go do it. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Hans. And that was Nick Jenkins of the Real Bad Podcast. And we'll see you next week for Tully on Watch the Thoreau. On your mark, ready, set, let's go. Dance for pro, I know, you know. I go psycho when my new joint hit. Just can't sit, gotta get jiggy with it. That's it, now honey, honey, come ride. TKNY, all up in my eyes. You got a rider, bag with a lot of stuff in it. Give it to your friend, let's spin. Everybody looking at me, glancing at the kid. Wishing they was dancing a jig here with this handsome kid. Sick a cigar right from Cuba, Cuba. Just bite it, for the look.